Welcome to Zichud Daf Simanim. I'm Rabbi Avram Goldar, and today we're going to Zayin, the sixth parak, Shoshos Hashafaros. So the three topics we're going to focus on. Number one, the Gemara brings several halachas pertaining to the anointing of kings with oil. In Moshchin Hamalachim El Gabi Hamayan, we anoint kings only by spring. A Gemara in Horios Daf Yud Beis Amidav explains that this symbolizes his reign will endure since the spring issues from underground in an endless flow. In Moshchin Melch Ben Melch El because we do not anoint a king who is the son of a king except on account of a dispute, such as in the case of Shlomo Melch, because of his dispute with Adoniyahu. In Moshchina Molachim Elamina Karen, we anoint kings only from a horn of oil. Shal and Yehu were anointed from a flask of oil, and their reins did not endure. The Marsha explains that a flask represents a truncated rain, since it is usually made of earthenware which breaks easily. A horn, on the other hand, is more durable and represents an enduring rain. And in Moshchina Kohanim Molachim, we do not anoint kings who are Kohanim. Rabbi Yudah on Tudari said that this is on account of the Pasuk of Yasser Shevet in Yehuda, the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. The Gemara brings a second source as well. Point number two, the Gemara discusses the Aron at length regarding its dimensions, how it was made, and how the Luchos were placed within it. The Gemara asks, ksuvim. How were the Luchos written? Rabbi Chinim Gamliel says that there were five commandments inscribed on each tablet, as it's written, and he inscribed them on two stone tablets. The Rabbanan say that the Ten Commandments were written on each tablet, as it says, He told you as bris that he commanded you to observe the Ten Commandments, and they were inscribed on two stone tablets. Rabbi Shimon Yochai says that twenty commandments were inscribed on each tablet. The Tikkun Chadrach explains that the Ten Commandments were written on each side of each of the tablets. Rabbi Simai says that 40 commandments were inscribed on each tablet. As it's written, They were inscribed on this side and on that side. Tetroga, that's four. According to some of Forshim, according to some of Forshim, it means that the commandments were written twice on each side. According to others, they were written on each of the four sides of the Luchos. And point number three, Rabbi Pinchas said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Lakish, The Torah that Akash Baruch Hu, gave to Moshe, was given to him as white fire inscribed on black fire. It, referring to the Torah, is fire, mixed with fire, hewn from fire, and given from fire. This is what's written, from his right hand he presented the fire of the Torah to them. The Tikkun Chadunim provides an esoteric interpretation of this. So once again, the three points are number one. The Gemara brings several halachas pertaining to the anointing of kings with oil. We anoint kings only by spring. explains that this symbolizes his reign will endure since the spring issues from underground in an endless flow. We do not anoint a king who is the son of a king except on account of a dispute, such as in the case of Shlomo Melch because of his dispute with Adoniyahu. We anoint kings only from a horn of oil. Shal and Yehu were anointed from a flask of oil and their reign did not endure. The Marshal explains that a flask represents a truncated rain since it's usually made of earthenware which breaks easily. A horn, on the other hand, is more durable and represents an enduring rain. We do not anoint kings who are kohanim. Rabbi Yudah and Tudaria said that this is on account of the Pasuk, O Yasur Shevet Yehuda, the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. The Gemur brings a second source as well. Point number two, the Gemur discusses the Aron at length regarding its dimensions, how it was made, and how the Luchos were placed within it. The Gemur asks, How were the Luchos written? Rabbi ben Gamliel says that there were five commandments inscribed on each tablet, as it's written, and inscribed them on two stone tablets. The Rabban say that the Ten Commandments were written on each tablet, as it says, 
He told you his bris, that he commanded you to observe the Ten Commandments, and they were inscribed on two stone tablets. Rabbi Shem ben Yochai says that 20 commandments were inscribed on each tablet. The Tikkun Chadin explains that the Ten Commandments were written on each side of each of the tablets. Rabbi Simai says that 40 commandments were inscribed on each tablet. As it's written, they were inscribed on this side and on that side, Tetroga, that's four. According to some, unfortunately, it means that the commandments were written twice on each side. According to others, they were written on each of the four sides of the Luchos. And point number three, Rabbi Pinchas said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, the Torah that the Kosh Baruch gave to Moshe, was given to him as white fire inscribed on black fire. He eish muvlelos be'eish, chatsuva me'eish, and rasun me'eish. It, referring to the Torah, is fire mixed with fire, hewn from fire, and given from fire. This is what's written, mimino eish das lomo, from his right hand, he presented the fire of the Torah to them. The Tikkun Chadotim provides an esoteric interpretation of this. Alright, so now we go to our Simber Dov Tezayin, and our standard simon is toes. Toes, so here goes. The crowds were standing on their tippy toes, trying to capture a glimpse of the king being anointed from a horn of oil by a spring, who was holding two tablets with forty commandments written on each one that were ablaze in fire. Once again, in slow motion. The crowds were standing on their tippy toes. Tippy toes, that must be run duff. Tazayan. The crowds were standing on their tippy toes, trying to capture a glimpse of the king being anointed from a horn of oil by a spring. Which reminds the Gemara brings several halachas pertaining to the anointing of kings. We anoint kings only by a spring, which symbolizes his reign will endure since the spring issues from underground in an endless flow. We do not anoint a king who is the son of a king except on account of a dispute, such as in the case of Shlomo Melch, because of his dispute with Adonai. We anoint kings only from a horn of oil. A horn is durable and represents an enduring reign. And we do not anoint kings who are Kohanim, as it says in the Pasuk, Well, Yasu Shevim and Yehuda, the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. So the crowds were standing on their tippy toes, trying to capture a glimpse of the king, being anointed from a horn of oil by a spring, who was holding two tablets for the forty commandments written on each one. Which reminds the Gemara asks, How were the luchos written? And brings four opinions. Either there were five dibros on each tablet, or there were ten on each tablet, or twenty on each tablet, with ten on each side, or forty on each tablet, which one or more says means twenty on each side, and another says ten on all four sides. So the crowds were standing on their tippy toes trying to capture a glimpse of the king being anointed from a horn of oil by a spring, who was holding two tablets with forty commandments written on each one that were ablaze in fire. Which reminds Rabbi Pinchas said in the name of Mishman Lakish, a Torah Shanasal and Kajbarhu and Moshe, the Torah that Kajbarhu gave to Moshe, Nasal Aish Lavana Kharusabeshakor. It was given to him as white fire inscribed on black fire. He Aish Muvlavasapeish Khatsuvmaish Minasunameish. It referring to the Torah is fire. Mixed with fire, hewn from fire, and given from fire. And this is what it's written, From his right hand, he presented the fire of the Torah to them. So once again, the crowds were standing on their tippy toes, trying to capture a glimpse of the king, being anointed from a horn of oil by a spring, who was holding two tablets with forty commandments written on each one, that were ablaze in fire. Alright, so now it's time for a formula about Chazor, but being that some shurim are missing, this formula about Chazor will include Dav Yud, Yudav, Yudbeis, and Tezvav. Daf Yud, the simon is a minion of Yidden. So here goes. The Shomri speaking of minion of Yidden, minion of Yidden, that must mean we're on Daf Yud. The Shomri speaking minion of Yidden, who use their wages, which reminds us, the opening mission of the fourth parak states, Shomri speaking Bishvis, Notin Scharam, and Trumas 
those who watch over the aftergrowth of the Shemitah year receive their wages from the initial funds withdrawn from the Lishka. Since the Omer Shei must be brought from the new crop, based on hired watchmen to prevent animals from treading on the Svichin, and to ask people to refrain from taking the barley and wheat because it had been reserved for these two offerings. So Gemara asks how this payment could be done. The Tikkun Chadin explains that it's not appropriate that Shkalim be given directly to the watchmen and deconsecrate in their possession with nothing taking their place in consecration. The Gemara answers that we take money from a money changer and give it to the harvesters and watchmen for the Omer is offered. Then, when the time to bring the Omer arrived, they would bring the money from the Shkalim withdrawn from the box and deconsecrate the money unto the Omer. The deconsecrated money would then go to repay the money changer. The amount given was for the final Yisrael that would make up the Omer offering, which was one-tenth of the three saw that was initially harvested. So the Shomri Svichin minion of Yidin, who used their wages to buy three different sized strips of red wool to wear on their uniforms, which reminds us the next mission continues the list items that were funded from Shkalim, which includes the Lushen Shel Zahoris, the strip of red wool, which is thrown into the Parduma when it's being burned. Rabbi Nachman said in the name of Yochanan, there are three strips of red wool, and each one is a distinct minimum weight. The red strip of the Sirul Azaza, which must be long enough to divide into two, has a weight of one cell. Before the goat is pushed off the cliff, the red strip that was tied to its head was divided into two. One strip would be tied to a rock, and the other half would be tied to the goat's horns. The red strip of the Mitzor, which doesn't need weight or length, does not need to weigh more than a shekel. And the red strip of the Parduma, which must be heavy so that it will fall into the heart of the fire, must be the weight of two slime. So the Shomri Svichin minion of Yidin, who used her wages to buy three different sized strips of red wool to wear on the uniforms, proudly went to pick up their wives who were getting paid for their work on weaving the parochas. Which reminds us the next mission lists the items that were purchased from the Mishiari Alishka, the funds that remained in the temple treasury after the initial funds were withdrawn. The Gemara identifies people that were paid from these funds. Tom the Kachem who taught the Kohanim the halachas of Shechita, Kabbalah, and Zerika Zadam. Those who examine offerings for blemishes or correct the Sefer Torah and the Azorah, as well as the judges who determine fines in monetary cases. And there's a Malchokas, the women who weave the parochas are paid from Shkalim or from the Bedeka Bias, which is the fund for the building and the maintenance of the base of Migdash. The dispute is whether the parochas have the status of a carbon since the blood of Yom Kippur and other offerings is thrown at them, or if they're given the status of temple construction, since they serve in place of a wall. So once again, the Shomrei Svichin minion of Yidin, who used their wages to buy three different sized strips of red wool to wear on the uniforms, proudly went to pick up their wives who were getting paid for their work on weaving the parochas. Daf Yidolf, so the simon is stars. So here goes. The fancy new Para Aduma bridge covered in gold stars. Gold stars? That must be more on Daf Yidolf. The fancy new Para Aduma bridge covered in gold stars, which reminds the Mishan Dab Yudama base taught the opinion of Abu Shul that the Kalanim Gadolim built the ramp to transport the Paraduma using their own money. Ravichinina said, Shachatzis Gadol, Haisib Ne Kalanim Gadolim, there was a great haughtiness among the Kalanim Gadolim, for they would needlessly spend more than 60 gold talents on the ramp's construction. For the ramp of the preceding Paraduma would still be standing, and yet the present Kalan Gadol would never bring his own paraduma on the ramp built by his predecessor. Rabbi Ua refuted this before Rabbi Manu bringing a price to the top that Shimon Sadik brought two paradumas during his term, and he even made a new ramp for the second one. Now, is it possible that Shimon Sadik was so pompous that he refused to use a ramp that he himself built? Rather, his reason for building the ramps was to set a higher standard for purity for paraduma service and to show honor for the mitzvah of the paraduma. So the fancy new Paraduma bridge covered in gold stars, and next to the gold star marketplace where Kanim sold wine, oil, and flour, always for a profit, which reminds us the Mishnah had taught the Rabbi Shmuel held that the surplus of the Anyush Kalim could be used to buy wine, oil, and fine flour, which Hektish would subsequently resell, and the profits would accrue to the base of Migdash. Rabbi Kiva disagreed as he held that one may not profit with that which belongs to Hektish or from funds collected for the poor. The Tikkun Chatan explains that in the case where the investment failed, there would be a loss 
the Hagdash. The Gemara on this stuff clarifies that even Rabbi Akiva agrees that if one stipulates that any losses would accrue to him and any profits would accrue to Hagdash, then doing business with Hagdash funds is permitted. The Gemara brings a story that illustrates that the same principle applies to funds collected for the poor. So the fancy new Par Aduma Bridge covered in gold stars and next to the gold star marketplace where Ghanim sold wine, oil, and flour always for a profit, was built by temple artisans who used chulun materials and who were paid with leftover deconsecrated katoris, which reminds us, the mission stated that the leftover katoris was redeemed upon the wages of the temple artisans. And the Gemara asked, based on the fact that the money used to pay the artisans itself was hektish, well, nimsa hektish mischawal hektish, but if so, does it not come out that hektish was deconsecrated upon another hektish object? The Tikkun Chatan explains that one can only redeem onto an object that is chulun. Rabbi Shimbar Bizna answered that the temple trustee brings the Hagdish money for the artisans and redeems the money upon the structure that they built. Since newly built temple structures are generally constructed from Chulun, the structure serves to redeem the money. He then brings the leftover Katoris and redeems it upon the money, and they give the newly redeemed Katoris to the artisans as their wages. Because the money of the artisans was redeemed before it was used to redeem the Katoris, it's not a case of Hagdish, Meschala or Hagdish. So once again... The fancy new Paraduma Bridge, covered in gold stars, and next to the gold star marketplace, where Kohanim sold wine, oil, and flour, always for a profit, was built by temple artisans, who used chulun materials, and who were paid with leftover, deconsecrated, katoras. Tafiud base so the simon is 12 brothers. So here goes. The 12 brothers, 12 brothers, that must mean we're on Duff. Yud base. The 12 brothers who were makdish, the possessions, including their male and female animals, without a specific intent, which reminds us of the Malchokas in the next mission, a case when someone is Makdish's possessions without specifying whether they're for the Mizbech or for the Betakabais, and among them were animals suitable for the Mizbech, where we as are old, Stam Hektish or Betakabais, that when someone is Makdish without stating his intention, the consecration is assumed to be for temple upkeep. Therefore, the male should be sold for the needs of all offerings, and the female should be sold for the needs of Shlamim, and their proceeds should go together with the rest of the possessions for the upkeep of the base of Mikdash. Rabbi Yeshua says the males themselves should be offered as Olos, and the female should be sold for the needs of shlumming offerings and with their proceeds. One should bring olas, and the rest of the possession should fall to Benakabais. The Tikkun Chatan explains, Yeshua holds that some hektish of an animal fit for the Mizbech is assumed to be for the Mizbech. Therefore, the animals are male, they should be brought as olos. He also holds that the person's intent was to offer them in their entirety as olos. Therefore, female animals, which cannot be brought as olos, are sold and the proceeds are used to purchase olos. So the twelve brothers who were Maktish of possessions, including their male and female animals, without a specific intent, were disheartened when they saw the animals sold to others as offerings, with the proceeds going to Betakabais, which reminds of Rabbi Yochanan said that the basis for Rabbi Lezer's ruling, that even animals consecrated without specification to have their proceeds go for Betakabais, comes from the Parsha of Redemptions. The Pasuk says, V'ishki yaktish is based on Kodesh Hashem. And if a man consecrates his house to be holy to Hashem, the Kohen shall evaluate it. Beso, his house, cannot be referring to a dwelling place because the dwelling place is written in the next Pasuk. The Makdish Yigal is Beso if the consecrator will redeem his house. Rather, we're dealing in the Pasuk with the one who is Makdish's property, meaning his possessions. And the Pasuk then states, Kodesh Hashem, holy to Hashem. From here we derive that unspecified consecrations are for the upkeep of the temple. So the twelve brothers who were Makdish in possessions, including their male and female animals, without a specific intent, were disheartened when they saw the animals sold to others as offerings, with the proceeds going to Betakabayas, when they thought they were endowed with the Kedusha of Olos. Which reminds us of the source for Rabbi Yeshua, who rules that non-specific consecration of animals fit for these back endows them, with the Kedusha of Olos is from the Pasuk state, speaks to Aaron and sons and to Albanese, and say to them, any man of the house of Israel who will bring his offering 
to Hashem as an Ola. This teaches Hakol Karab Ola, all animals, which are our type, that can be offered upon the Mizbech, are brought as Olos, unless otherwise specified. The next Pasuk states, to be favorable to you, it must be an unblemished male. Now one might think that this applies only to males. The Pasuk therefore states, Babaka, from the cattle, in order to include females. The Tikkun Chatton explains that both male and female animals are called cattle. So once again, the twelve brothers who are Makdish, their possessions, including their male and female animals, without a specific intent, were disheartened when they saw the animals sold to others as offerings, with the proceeds going to Betacabias, when they thought they were endowed with the Kedusha of Olos. Dov Tezvav. So the symbol for Dov Tezvav is a fruit bowl. So here goes. The unassuming fruit bowl. Fruit bowl. That must be on Dov Tezvav. Two. Two Bishvat. The unassuming fruit bowl where people would give and take tzedakah discreetly. Which reminds the next mission discusses the Lushka's Choshain, the chamber of the discreet, where sin-fearing people would deposit donations into it discreetly and anim from aristocratic families would sustain themselves from it discreetly. And the Gemara illustrates the importance of tzedakah performed discreetly. Rabbi Yonah said the Pasuk in the does not write Ashrei Nosen Ladal, praise be he who gives to the needy. Rather, it's written Ashrei Maskil El Dal, praise be he who contemplates the needy. This refers to one who looks at a mitzvah to see how to best perform it so that it should not be demeaning to the poor person. When Rabbi Yonah would see a poor person from an aristocratic family who lost his estate, he would say to him, my son, since I heard that you have a Yerusha coming to you and you'll soon be out of your financial difficulties, take this money now and you'll repay me when you receive your Yerusha. After the Ani took the money, he would then tell him he's giving to him as a gift. And the Tikkun Chadun explains that when Rabbi Yonah told the Ani, that he will repay, he meant that one day the Ani will repay the favor by helping out another Ani, and that Ani might be Rabbi Yonah's descendant, since poverty is a cyclical phenomena. So the unassuming fruit bowl, where people would give and take tzedakah discreetly, was always next to the bed of the tzaddik, who suffered afflictions for being slow to give. Which reminds the Gemara brings the story of Nachim Ishgamzu, who didn't give immediately to an Ani who had boils. Upon his return, he found the man dead, and facing the corpse, he said, May my eyes that did not prompt me to help you go blind, may my hands that did not stretch out to give you be cut off, and may my legs that did not run to give you be broken. After all these calamities happened to him, Rabbi Kiva visited him and expressed his dismay in seeing him in such a state. Nachim replied, what was me if I don't see you one day in such a state? Rabbi Kiva asked him why he was cursing him. Nachim responded, Why are you spurning afflictions? Afflictions are precious, and they atone for one's sins. So the unassuming fruit bowl, where people would give and take tzedakah discreetly, was always next to the bed of the tzaddik, who suffered afflictions for being slow to give, and where a holy chest was buried deep beneath him. Which reminds the opening mission of the sixth parak mentions a tradition that the arn was hidden under the dira etzim, the wood chamber where wood is kept to be burned on the Mizbech. The Tikkun Chadin explains that Yoshiel Melch hid it towards the end of Bais Rishon. The Gemara brings a bright that teaches the name of Belezer that the Arn went into exile with them to Bavel. Rabbi ben Lakish said the Arn was hidden in its place, referring to a secret underground chamber that Shlomo Melch had built under the Kodesh Kadoshim. So once again, the unassuming fruit bowl, where people would give and take tzedakah discreetly, was always next to the bed of the tzaddik, who suffered afflictions for being slow to give, and where a holy chest was buried deep beneath them. All right, now it's time to conclude the pop quiz of 10 questions, but this time we're going to do 15 questions in order to help reinforce material of this Masechta. So here goes. Question number one. Which stuff do you in the source will be sure that when one is makdishtam, animals fit for the Mizbeach, the animals are endowed with the Kedusha of Olos, that's on Daf? Yudbeis. Good. Number two. Which stuff do you learn? Three different opinions regarding the Aron's location. That's on Daf? Tezvav. Good. Number three. Which stuff do we have a Melchus, whether there are four or five Kosamos tokens for the Nesachim? That's on Daf? Yudalad. Good. Number four. Which stuff do we have a Melchus, regarding how many Dibros were written on each of the Luchos? That's on Daf? 
Tezayin. Good number five. Which definitely one the reason why Beis Garmu did not want to share their craft or making the Lechem upon him was so that it should not come to be used for a Vodazora, that's on Duff? Good number six. Which stuff do we learn in Rabbi Kiva agrees that one can do business with hectish funds provided that one takes the losses and hectish takes the profits? That's on Duff. Yudalv. Good number seven. Which stuff do we learn in Pesachia Zemordechai and he was responsible for the Kimim? That's on Duff. Yudgimel. Good number eight. Which stuff do we learn that the temple artisans were paid from leftover Katoris? That's on Duff. Yudalv. Good number nine. Which stuff do we have the story of Nachum Ishkamzu? That's on Duff. Tezvav. Good number ten. Which stuff do we learn that according to one Amanda Amr, Rabbi Kiva was responsible for the Mishnahis, Midrashos, Halachos, and Agados? That's on Duff. Yudgimel. Good number eleven. Which stuff do we learn that Rabbi Yoni teaches the importance of being discreet in giving tzedakah from the Pasuk Ashrei Maskil El Dal? That's on Duff. Tezvav. Good number 12. Which stuff do you learn? Shomri Svichin take their wages from the Trumas Alushka. That's on Duff. Yud. Good number 13. Which stuff do you learn? Halachas for anointing a king, such as anointing him by a spring and using a horn of oil. That's on Duff. Tezain. Good number 14. Which stuff do we have two different opinions regarding the source from Moshe Rabbeinu's wealth? That's on Duff. Yadal, good. And number 15, which stuff do you learn the source for Belezer that Stam Hekdeshel's Rebetica bias comes from the Parsha for redemptions? That's on Dav. Yud base. Excellent. All right, that concludes the pop quiz. This is Rabbi Avram Goldman Zichur wishing you a great day and great learning.